Hi, this is Cody Daigle-Oriens. If you're a regular listener, you know that the podcast has been silent for the last month. Now, while we love making the podcast, Neil and I create bearded fruit in our spare time. And because of our jobs uh, and our schedules, spare time has been really hard to come by lately. So this episode was going to be our last episode. We were going to say goodbye to bearded fruit for good. Then the election happened. And because of all the frustration and fear and uncertainty we experienced, and the frustration and fear and uncertainty we've seen our friends experience, we felt that giving up bearded fruit would be a mistake. Because over the last year, we've developed a very loyal fan base. It may not be huge. I mean, we're not giving this American life a run for any of its money. But our audience is something more important to us. Engaged. Over the last year, we've connected with some really remarkable people, queer and queer allies alike, who believe, as we do, that there's a lot of work left to do to achieve justice for everyone. And we, as queer people and queer allies, can play a pivotal part in that work. So, we're back in the saddle, making bearded fruit with a slightly new goal in mind. Beyond just being a place where we can discuss queer issues, we want the podcast to be a tool. A ground zero for queer people and queer allies to start conversations and build community in their own corner of the world. And through those communities, take action to counteract the steps backward we've taken as a country following the election of Donald Trump for president. So let's do this together. Our freedom and the freedom of all of our friends in other marginalized communities need us. I mean, what other choice do we have? Now, on with the podcast. This is Cody Daigle-Orians. This is Neil Daigle-Orians. And welcome to another episode of Bearded Fruit. It's not a Bearded Fruit episode unless I say yay. So say it. Yay. Yay. Good. Yeah, we are, we're back officially after a very long break um, because the world exploded. The world literally. <laughs> the world... <laughs> Coming to you live from post-apocalyptic. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so... Um, the election happened, and it was terrifying, and mm -hmm. uh, there's no need to sort of like catch anybody up on that. I'm sure you already know what went down. So um, we are going to dive back into making episodes, and we're going to focus our energies on... Um, that. Yeah, and trying to, to sort of uh, create positive conversations about the things that are going on, and uh, and hopefully down the line, we, we also will, we have plans to sort of... Uh, give you opportunities to take those conversations into the world in an active sense uh, to do positive things over the next four years because we are going to need them as a community. We are crafting critical dialogues. Yeah. So this week we are going to talk about um, President-elect Donald Trump. Why? Because he's happening and oh. it's important. Uh, but we're also going to talk about an old friend 
uh, of the podcast. And by friend, I say that super sarcastically. Um, oh, we, I don't think he knows we exist. <laughs> no, he doesn't know we exist, and I wish I didn't know he existed. But we are going to be talking about an, an op-ed that I read from thehill.com a few days ago. And it's by a gentleman named Joseph R. Murray. And the, and the, the op-ed is called... Memo to the LGBT community. Donald Trump is not your enemy. Just just really quickly, I want to point out that his name is grammatically incorrect. Yes. That's cute. So it's called Memo to the LGBT community. Donald Trump is not your enemy. Memo. 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 I didn't get that memo. <laughs> I didn't get the memo either. Who really, like, other than, like, secretaries from the 60s, mm-hmm. do you about memos? Um but you might remember Joseph R. Murray from an episode we did back in the beginnings of Bearded Fruit, back in the in the day many moons ago. He is the author of another op-ed that was published in the USA Today, and it was a the uh, the op-ed that argued that the LGBT community should ditch trans people from the movement, quote unquote, because they were hindering the progresses of the L's and the G's. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they were making life harder for us now that we had marriage equality. Like, they needed to go have their own thing. It was like, girl. Boo freaking who. Right. Uh, and so he's he's not exactly the nicest gentleman on the block. If you can also remember that uh, Joseph R. Murray was also a, a candidate. Uh, he was a, a campaign spokesperson and a campaign uh, dude staff member for uh, Pat Buchanan when he ran. For president. Mm. And as we know, Pat Buchanan is super liberal. Incredibly. He's so progressive. Never been a more progressive. Not Never even, been more Not even Bernie. Not even no. Bernie Sanders. No. Not even. No. Uh, sarcasm. Um, so in this, in this op-ed, our friend Joseph R. Murray makes a case to the LGBT community that we should not be afraid of Donald Trump. Because he argues that Donald Trump is actually a super duper special friend. To the LGBT community. How does he do that? How, okay, does, how does he argue? Give me context. Give Here's me his receipts. argument. This is like part of his argument. And it's great too. Quote, in the 1980s and 90s, Trump donated heavily to charities that focused on the AIDS outbreak. When he floated a third party presidential run in, the ni- in 1999, he went on record saying he would consider adding sexual orientation to the Civil Rights Act. Trump is also believed to be the first private club owner in Palm Beach, in this case, Mar-a-Lago, to admit a gay couple. This is not the resume of an LGBT foe. Hmm. So his argument is basically, he donated money. He said he would consider doing a thing. He would doing think about thing. it. Yeah. And he led a gay couple into a private club in Palm Beach. Mm-hmm. So he is basically... Marsha P. Johnson. Well, <laughs> well, what's what's interesting about that argument is that those things are are nice. Like they're nice, and mm-hmm. and like yes, that is a pretty good track record. But what's what's interesting is that when you when you look at something like that, and you compare it contextually to contemporary statements and actions and behaviors, um, it, it's funny that 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 can be seen as a wait, no, it's a good thing. It, it, he's okay. Whereas like somebody else who had maybe previous actions that were that weren't progressive. Um, those are actually held against people. So I'm, I'm thinking specifically about both Obama and Clinton not supporting same-sex marriage initially in their campaigns, and then it's considered quote-unquote flip-flopping if that they do now. Um, and that's just interesting to me. It's interesting to me that that um, you can you can 
you can hold those words against somebody, you can hold those beliefs against somebody, and if they've changed their mind since then, um, if, if they change it into a more progressive, that's somehow seen as a bad thing. Whereas, like, if anything, the reverse is, is true in this case. He may have been vaguely progressive in the 90s. And, and you know, giving money to AIDS charities in the late 80s, early 90s, I mean, that is actually kind of a progressive thing, given the administration, given the Reagan era. Like, that's actually kind of, like, kudos to you, Trump. But like it, it, that doesn't like that doesn't change the fact that his running mate actively sought to take money away from HIV um, mm. resources and use that for conversion therapy. Instead. Well, yeah, it's like 1980s and 90s. Trump isn't the one who was elected. No, president. no, 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 not at so all. So this whole th- the idea that like in the 1980s and 90s he was somehow um, doing the good work for LGBT people does not counteract everything that he's done since. Well, and that's what makes him such an interesting and weird figure to begin with, because up until very, very recently, he has been fairly pro-LGBT. That doesn't mean he's not terrible in, like, pretty much every other facet of his life. That's pretty consistent. But um, that's a fairly recent development in his his politics, Um, and that's what makes him so weird and, like, clearly just pandery. Like, like I feel like he's he's really pandering in a lot of his in a lot of his statements and a lot of his actions. He's just trying to pander, and I, I feel like that also goes on. I don't know if this is too tangential to our conversation, but I feel like that's the reason why he's been appointing some of his some of the people that he's been appointing is because he's pandering to a larger alt right conservative base and not necessarily looking at um, who would actually do or he doesn't even know who would actually do a good job. He only knows those figures that are pandery. Well, we're going to get to some of those people too. Okay. Um, more that uh, Murray said in his op-ed, he argues that on the campaign trail, Trump demonstrated that he was a really great um, supporter of LGBT, uh, the LGBT community when he condemned the Pulse nightclub attack. Which, okay, like... Woohoo! <laughs> I mean, I think murdering 50 people in a nightclub should be condemned no matter what. (laughs) However, it's important to note that the context in which he did that was to point out that we should stop immigration and we should be, like, being cautious of Muslims. Like, he used the condemning of the attacks to marginalize another community Mm -hmm. and to stoke anti-Muslim sentiment in the LGBT community and otherwise. Mm -hmm. So, ew. (laughs) Totally. And and I agree with you. Now, we can take a look at the things that Trump has done since uh, – that Trump has done on the campaign trail, but also even since he's been elected uh, president to see that even though he once led a gay couple into a club in Palm Beach, he has consistently now done things that are very damaging and potentially very damaging to the LGBT community, not to mention everybody else. Like, we're not even talking about other communities, just the LGBT community. We're talking specifically about only white gays. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, let's talk about his vice president. So, we picked a vice president, um, Mike Pence, who supported the constitutional amendment to ban marriage equality. He signed a bill to jail same-sex couples for applying for a marriage license. That's problematic, y'all. He wanted he diverted funding from HIV prevention and to conversion therapy. So it was like, let's take money away from HIV prevention, and we're going to make do conversion. We're going to send those people to conversion therapy, which the entire psychiatric community is like terrible no. idea. Well, and what's funny is that, like, I bet I bet that in his mind that was the same thing. I bet yeah. in his mind that conversion therapy was HIV 
prevention in a very roundabout way, which is incredibly ignorant of him. But I'm almost yeah. certain that that was the justification in his mind. Mike Pence is a, was opposed to the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. He complained about the passage of the Matthew Shepard hate crimes bill, which included um, anti-LGBT attacks into hate crimes. He argued that passing ENDA was be a bad ENDA, which is the Employment Non-Discrimination Act, would be a bad thing because it could ban Bibles from the workplace. That's not how the First Amendment works. Totally not how the first like, <laughs> so. He's he's supposedly this LGBT Trump is supposedly this LGBT ally and his second in command is super duper homophobic. You, that's not how I mean those are not mutually exclusive. Like you can't be pro LGBT and also have my No. Friends. You just can't. That's not a thing. That's not a thing that you can exist in the world with. It would be bad if it was just Pence, but it's not. Of course it's not. So um Bannon who like, oh, my God. So the chief – the person that Trump is, has selected to be the chief strategist in the White House is the executive chair of Breitbart.com, uh, which, uh, as we all know, is a super um, alt-righty, horrifying news uh, – air quotes – outlet. Alt-right. Noun. See Nazi. Like, the <laughs> – right. And so this guy is – everybody's freaking out about him on, on in terms of his white nationalism because he is um, – uh, has been outspoken about his belief that um, whites rule, exclamation point. But he's also said some pretty terrible things. This is the chief strategist in the White House, somebody who is going to closely work with our president to guide the course of this country. This is some of the stuff that he has said about LGBT people. During a radio interview in 2011, he de in which he defended Sarah Palin against criticism, um, Bannon used an anti-gay slur to describe women with progressive views. He said this about them. These women cut to the heart of the progressive narrative, quote. Uh, that's one of the unintended consequences of the women's liberation movement, that in fact the women that they would lead this country would be feminine. They would be pro-family. They would have husbands. They would love their children. They wouldn't be a bunch of dykes that came from the Seven Sisters school up in New England. Yeah. It's funny, too, because the one person <sighs> I know from the Seven Sisters school is very straight. I like, know. I don't know. <laughs> over the... When the Target... Um, was allowing transgender people to use the bathroom consistent with their gender identity. Bannon said during a radio interview, Target was, quote, trying to exclude people who are decent, hardworking people who don't want their four-year-old daughter to have to go into a bathroom with a guy with a beard in a dress. Okay, so, like, where is this Target that Willem is just going to the women's bathroom in? Because I want to oh, go there. That is some shit. <laughs> I want to meet him. Look. <laughs> So this this guy who's gonna, who's the chief strategist now for the White House and who's who's incredibly high up in our in our new the incoming administration um, isn't shy about being horribly homophobic. Mm -hmm. And again, like it's it's this appointment. It's 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 Mike Pence. It's it's Mike Huckabee being the um, ambassador to Israel that just proves that Trump has no idea what he's doing other than pandering to his ultra ridiculous racist conservative base like he literally he doesn't it something that happened when obama was in the administration that i thought was wonderful he um appointed um oh what's his name um, um i want to say i want to say it's mike johans don't don't hate me nebraska if i got his name wrong but he was the governor of nebraska at the time um, he appointed him as the Secretary of Agriculture. And it's like, who the hell knew who Mike Johans was outside of Nebraska? Nobody. 
And also, he was a Republican, which was, like, even more telling that Obama was like, this guy knows what he's talking about when it comes to agriculture. He's coming from this state that has, like, a huge agriculture base, and he knows how to get stuff done or whatever. I don't actually – I wasn't very politically aware back when Johans was governor. But anyway, um, like, that appointment just kind of showed his – commitment to trying to not only reach across the aisle but also hire the most important like the best person for the job as opposed to the celebrity so like i feel like pence uh uh, trump is just doing that he's just looking at the celebrity he's looking at the famous conservatives and like what's really strange is that let's look at glenn beck right now he's having this like liberal enlightenment fantasy that's happening and it's like if he would have stayed conservative would glenn beck also be somewhere in this administration no terrifying other people that he's picked or has said that he would pick. His Supreme Court justice pick, uh, Judge William Pryor, believes that gay sex should be illegal. Now, what's funny about William Pryor is allegedly, allegedly, there are pictures of him on badpuppy.com, which is an early gay porn site, uh, totally like naked sporting a chub. Yeah. The audience can't see my expression yeah. right now. It was so, shock and gagging. awe. Gagging. Um, although I saw the pictures and you wouldn't be gagging. Um, Whoa! I mean, it was okay, but whatever. But he, literally, this guy wants he wants to put this guy on the Supreme Court, which, terrifying. Attorney General, the pick for his pick for Attorney General is Jeff Sessions, who got a zero on the HRC LGBT scorecard. And that's saying something because the HRC is problematic enough as it is. If they give you a zero, you're just screwed. The attorney general voted for the constitutional amendment banning marriage equality. He voted against the Employment Non-Discrimination Act. He voted against the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell and other anti-LGBT votes. And this guy is going to be our attorney general. Um, He doesn't understand how the law works. I feel like what has happened post-election is a thing that happens all the time. Like People freak out post-election. And then there's this like nugget of a thing. And the nugget of the thing, the nugget of like the shining sun in a dark storm was him going, Trump going on 60 Minutes and telling Leslie Stahl that uh, marriage equality was done. He wasn't going to do anything about it. And that in response to that, that 60 Minutes conversation, I saw a lot of people, uh, gay men, I'm not going to say in the LGBT community because that's kind of unfair. It's really particularly gay men. White, white cis gay men. White cis gay men saying, oh, you know what? We can wait and see. Like, that sounds okay. No, that sounds good. I'm cool with that. Let's wait and see. And I feel like with when you really look at all the things that he's actually doing, there's no way that we can legitimately say we're going to wait and see. Mm-hmm. Because just because you go on... 60 minutes and say, no, I'm not going to screw you over. You're no friend to the LGBT community if you're passing off your dirty work to everybody else in your administration, Mm -hmm. which is what he's doing. We're also talking about a guy who says that about a decision that's like a little over a year old, yet isn't afraid to go after Roe v. Wade. Totally. He is not afraid to say that that is not settled law, yet he's he's going to say that the Supreme Court settled same-sex marriage. Like, really? Really, Queen? You're really going to say that? Well, and the thing is he doesn't even – the thing is he doesn't have to go – he doesn't have to go for marriage equality to do serious damage to the community overall. But with everybody else that he's picking, he can do serious damage to the LGBT community. Without doing it directly. Right. Like, the simple fact that now the Employment Non-Discrimination Act is basically never going to happen with these people – Damages the LGBT community. Yeah. Because you can still get fi- be fired for being gay. Who cares if you can get married? You can lose your job just for being mm-hmm. gay. It sucks that that legitimately the next the next um, logistically speaking um, time for 
and uh, to ever come back and actually have a a possibility is if the 2018 midterms go in our favor mm-hmm. go in a liberal progressive favor because otherwise there's there's no chance there's yeah. there's really no no chance thinking about it and like also we're we're talking about somebody who is probably going to take back federal protections for federal employees um which is he a lot is, of people so in a lot that. of places that have no state laws to protect people and they have this federal law that protects them instead we're talking about like mail carriers we're talking about um other government federal government officials um and other federal employees just like suddenly losing those protections um nationwide that yeah. they had that made those jobs also just special and made them protected and made them um things that were really highly regarded in my mind because because of the protections and because the the federal government went out of its way to add those protections you know we it's very understandable to me that in the in the this time post election that has been so fraught with um people being angry and frustrated and expressing it and it's it's kind of overwhelming it's overwhelming the conversation is continually overwhelming in this past week that it's very easy for us to sort of reach for some sort of respite and to say, no, well, maybe it won't be so bad. Mm-hmm. You know, no, hold on. There's this little thing. Maybe it won't be so bad. But seriously, if you are out there and you are for a moment entertaining the wait and see attitude, stop it right now. Stop it. Look at what he look at the people he's choosing. Look at the choices he's making and recognize that there is no wait and see for us. Because what he and not only is he harming just LGBT people, but we are an intersectional community that includes Muslims and includes women and includes trans people and includes people of color. Those individual communities are under different kinds of fire by this administration, and as well as the right. fire that they yeah. face that's similar to ours. So another part of Murray's op-ed that was very troubling, and I wanted to first to take a chance to a little bit to talk about, and I kind of just did slightly, but still. Here's a quote um, from Murray that sort of focuses what he thinks LGBT people care about. So he says this, quote, Here was the president-elect, a man who has long been compared to Hitler by progressives, saying he was fine with marriage equality. What did the LGBT community have to fear if their right to marriage was safe? End quote. Yikes! Right. Oh, wow. How can you be so out of touch? The gist of that argument is that if it basically is like, hey, LGBT community, calm down. He's not going to mess with marriage. So what do you have to be afraid of? Literally everything. Literally everything else. (laughs) And plus, it's clearly a man who is speaking as though marriage equality matters fundamentally to every member of the LGBT community, that there's nothing, there was nothing else for us to fear. That's so unfortunate for him. That is so unfortunate and embarrassing for him. It is also, I think, unfortunate and embarrassing for those of us in the community to recognize that a large number of people did only have that to fear. And still. Like, that that's and all they think about. Like, I know, that we, oh, I know that we're down on you all the time, white cis gay dudes. But white cis gay dudes, he was talking to you. He was talking to us. He was talking to us. Yes, he was talking to us. He was saying, what did we have to fear? We have nothing to fear. But yo, white, gay, cis dudes, we are not the only people in this community. Mm -hmm. And I think it's incredibly important right now for us, white, cis, gay dudes, and white, cis women, gay women as well, because they're also less marginalized. I mean, they still have to deal with misogyny, but 
but mm-hmm. they're up there with us in terms of being the least marginalized. It's really important that right now we start to really understand what our community is and what fighting for our community actually means. That fighting for the LGBT community and the gay rights movement, whatever that is, quote, air quotes, is not just about people who look like us. It's also not people who experience queerness like us. It's not people who experience sexuality like us. And it's not just for people who um, want to be... That that have the same desires as us. It's for everybody. The community was so focused on marriage equality, and marriage equality was not the issue that spoke to the most people. Mm-hmm. We still have so many other things that we need to really deal with. Trans healthcare is a huge, huge issue. Trans access to healthcare, absolutely. The the disparities for queer people of color. Mm-hmm. You know, the fa- there there are people of color in our community, and so all of the th- all of the things that affect people of color in this country affect queer mm-hmm. people of color. You know, and um, I used to uh, volunteer for a nonprofit in Omaha, and we have this um, residential leadership workshop for high schoolers. And um, every year we we have the, this thing called Culture Night, where um, we would we would have the kids self identify what cultures they believed in, they were a part of. They come together and they talk about what it means to be part of that culture, and eventually have a presentation. And it's really beautiful, and it's really beautiful to have um, to have like uh, people identifying uh, the way they do and talking about what it means. And sometimes it was funny, and sometimes it was sad. Um, but I was always in the queer group, and um, when I was first at when I first started doing it, we would we would have a pretty diverse group of kids. Um, and eventually I realized, like, and I would be really sad when I see this one, there would be um, queer people of color at camp who would choose their racial identity instead. And slowly I, I started to realize it's because the conversations that we're having, that we were having, and the conversations that the mainstream uh, queer movement was, was incredibly exclusive. So, mm-hmm. of course, they didn't want to, they, they preferred to, like, yes, they were queer, but they were also black. So they would, they would prefer to be in the African-American and African group. Of course they would. Um, they, they, of course they would prefer that experience in those conversations, especially since if we're talking visually, a, lo- a lot of people of color face those oppressions and uh, face that kind of oppression first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And then any sort of queer oppression comes kind of secondary because that's the racial society we're in. We're in, we're in a very racist society that immediately focuses on that and then adds oppression when they see fit. Well, I think it's also important to recognize for us to recognize that the the gay rights movement quotes around that um, was is essentially has essentially been an assimilationist movement. It's been most successful as as an assimilationist movement about getting people to understand that we are just like you. And we you know, we are just like you. We have the same concerns as you. We can do the things that you do. And that kind of movement works best and almost exclusively for the people who most look like the mainstream. And that's why it's really frustrating to hear people talk about immigration as if like, oh, well, the Irish used to be okay. But like, if you actually talk to historians and look at it, it was a one generation thing. Yeah. Where in one generation, they assimilated into American, yeah. like the Italians, one generation. Once like you have kids who don't have Italian accents, suddenly they assimilate a lot easier into American culture. And I wonder why. Literally, it's their skin. And like, so the mainstream, the mainstream gay rights movement has particularly been invested in the interests of white, cis, gay men and women. Mm-hmm. The major goals that it has achieved has mostly been to serve those people. And that's historic, too. That's looking at the Medicine Society. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. It's always been a respectability politics. 
And what's hilarious is that what really triggered the movement was literally a riot by people of color, by trans people of color, literally. It feels like this moment, and not to, not to try to turn the the uh, the election of Donald Trump into some kind of like, yeah, we're going to find the silver lining here. No, I mean, I think there's a lot of danger. There's an incredible amount of danger that's going to come out of the next four years for not just queer people, but for all kinds of people. Um, but this is really a, a particular moment for those of us who have been advantaged by the mainstream LGBT and gay rights movement to finally do something to help fix the movement. Like we are now in a place as, as a white cis gay man who has marriage rights and apparently I'm not going to have to worry about them. I am in a particular position to do something positive and reshape the, the movement in a way that better serves everyone. Like I can recognize that if we really intend for there to be justice for our community, it means that we have to care for and participate in the movements of other marginalized people that our, we can't just be marriage equality and yay gays and everything is awesome. The gay rights movement is winning. Mm -hmm. No, we don't win until our black queer people are safe until our trans people are safe until our Muslim people are safe. And until all of those people inside that umbrella are living the same lives that we do or living the same safety that we do, we haven't really achieved justice for everyone. And so far, the safest place that I can confirm that exists for those people is the theater in which Hamilton is being produced. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, but like I was I was even this just reminded me of a conversation I had with a friend this morning where like legitimately he was like worried about um, he was worried about the registration of Muslims which I think is a huge violation of the First Amendment, just, like, incredibly huge violation of the First Amendment, so it can't happen. Like, there's no way they can... There's no way that that can happen. Um, and then he said, well, if they um, don't start with the Muslims, then they'll just come for us first. Um, and he was, like, legitimately worried about being um, rounded up in gay camps. And I'm like, okay, I understand where your fears are coming from, and I understand why you're nervous. Take those, Take those nerves make convert it into anger and then do something with it. Mm -hmm. It's totally okay and valid to be angry. And what we need to do is take that anger and do something with it. Anger was what, what made Marsha throw the first brick. Anger is what, um, what emboldened activists into, um, doing what they do on the streets today. And like, to a certain extent, anger is what elected Donald Trump. Anger is, can be productive if it's not violent. I and, think. And our community has always used anger in that way and to, to create positives. I mean, Stonewall is a great example, but you look at the way you look at act up and the way that they responded to the, the complete dismissal of the AIDS epidemic. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, it wasn't signing a change.org petition that changed that they had to go out into the streets and they had to literally, they had to use their anger and do something in the world. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I totally agree. We have, but we have to do something, not just for us. Mm -hmm. We have to recognize that, that, our privileges afford us a space to be seen and heard. And when I say us, I mean white, gay, cis people, men and women. And it's also to use those positions to help amplify those voices that aren't. Yes. So it's it's not just for us to say something, but we also have to take the much smarter people of color because they're always smarter than us mm -hmm. and bring them to the front yeah. and say, listen to this person. I'm going to shut up now. And And like... I mean, like this is like an, a conversation about race, which we're not necessarily having, but I think it's very important for those of us who are white to like deal with our white people. <laughs> like we have to really start dealing with our white people because they're, 
they're fucking up. I mean, the white people, no, the white people are causing some trouble and we need, it's our responsibility to collect them. Mm-hmm. We have to go collect our white people mm-hmm. because they're misbehaving and they're leaving a mess on the rug and it's not cute. It's not cute. Cause somebody has to vacuum that up. Right. So we have to deal with us. We have to like improve us and stand up for and participate in in the other justice movements as well, in the other social movements. Yeah. And participate does not mean take center stage in them. It means saying, what can I do to help? And Don't be a white savior. It. Yeah, like don't – it just means participating, caring about them. Because Muslim lives, trans lives, black lives, Latino lives, the lives of women, those lives are important and they are us. And they – matter they matter yeah. yeah they totally matter and they matter to our community mm-hmm. they're in our community so they should matter to us and the future i think the future of our community and our country depends on it mm-hmm. depends on us doing this um you know to that end i don't really quite know what shape that takes for us but we have been definitely been talking and the reason that we have come di- we the reason we dive back into doing the podcast is because we think the podcast could actually lead to ways for us to positively impact communities and give you give people who act our listeners and give ourselves tools to act. Mm-hmm. Like we don't just want to just have the conversation. We like to turn this into something that gives you tools to do something and to change wherever you are. You know, like this little conversation can be the start of conversations in cities all over the country, wherever you are listening right now. And we can start changing minds and then we can start doing things and making positive actions and and counteracting the horrible decision that was made on election day basically we're making a really faggoty ted conference uh but yeah <laughs> kind yeah. of i mean <laughs> sure kind of talked about but i mean that that's that's and, and we'll will that will be evolving as we continue with the podcast but it's something that we definitely feel is important mm-hmm. that it we have to care mm-hmm. right now and um, also, I think this is a good time to say we want to hear from you. Yes. Email us, tweet us, like, tell us your stories. I think we're trying to figure out a way to get a phone number that you can call and leave messages that we can then add to this podcast. Yeah. We're looking into that. But, like, in the meantime, like, email us at, you know, the email address. I don't. That's beardedfruitpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Yeah. Like, send us your stories. Like, contribute to the conversation. If you have if you see something that we don't see or that you think that would be relevant to this podcast send it to us like give us a hat tip like yeah please i i I think in in going forward we both want this to be more participatory correct we want it to be more interactive and we want to include as many as many voices as possible and we're gonna do better uh we're gonna do a better job of including uh diverse voices because we are just two white cis gay dudes um so our, we don't have necessarily a very diverse slate of voices and we're going to really work hard on that but for those of you who are in our community who want to call us out whenever we get things wrong please do mm-hmm. and let us know how we can better facilitate this conversation and help others facilitate those conversations mm-hmm. um don't be afraid to call i mean call us out i want to be called out as i we want to do positive things in the world i want to be called out by somebody <laughs> yeah I want to be woken by somebody. I want a mean tweet from somebody. Yeah. yeah. Um, Whistle tones. Right. That. Uh, but it's it's good to be back and doing this. And we're going to continue continue bearded fruit as, as long as we feel like we have to do it. And I feel like that's going to be for a long time. 
A long time. Welcome to season 39,000. <laughs> yeah, right. Bird fruit. Neil Deckardians, yay. That's um, that's going to be my old man voice. I, I like it. It's That's really good. This is my old man voice. Because you're already Because I'm man. already old. Um, as, as always. always. <laughs> stop it. He's so mean. As always, we're incredibly thankful to everybody who listens to the podcast. Uh, and this is always, you know, we'd rattle off. I always rattle off the where you can find us. But now more than ever, we really would like to grow the community of Bearded Fruit. So if you have not, head over to Facebook and like us. You can find us by searching Bearded Fruit. And if you could, share our page or share some posts from the page and encourage other people in the LGBT community to find us and listen to us and participate. We're going to increasingly over the next few months have ways for you to uh, participate not only with us and with the podcast, but also to create uh, ways to participate and call, create action in your own community. So uh, help us out that way. You can head over to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. And you can also find us on w, on the web at www.beardedfruit.com. Uh, it's good to be back. I'm glad you think that. I, I do. I'm glad that you let me force you into doing this. Yeah, me too. So we will see you next week. Promise? Yep. Absolutely. Okay, I'm holding it, you. Wait, Call us out. Right. T- tweet at us if there's not a podcast. Literally, like at, the, like at the end of our episode, if we're gonna be, if Donald Trump is president the next week, then we're going to do the podcast. For every week that he's president or mm. going to be president, we're going to have to do the podcast. Does that mean like if something happens in electoral college and, and like there are rogue voters, like we'll stop doing it? No, we're going to do like 20 episodes of celebrating that. Uh, okay. So that's it for this week. Uh, we will be back next week with more um, more queer politics. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Bye. I love you.